From Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. We started Atlanta Born and Brand back in 2018 with the goal of bringing to light the incredible small businesses and entrepreneurs that make this city unique. Last year, we expanded our focus to give you a peek behind the curtain at some of the city's most iconic brands. We want to bring you stories from the whole spectrum of Atlanta culture. There are extraordinary organizations and companies in every corner of our city, both big and small. And this season, we can't wait to dig even deeper into the people behind them. Our mission for this show is that you know about and care about your neighbors. Because Atlanta is our city, and this is our story. Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe is a nonprofit with a unique mission. Keep your pets from ever becoming rescues. Our guest today is Aaron Fisher, CEO and founder of ARDC. Aaron spent many years working as an elementary school teacher and volunteering and working in animal welfare. You'll hear in our episode today how each of these experiences led him to start Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe. Their aim is to promote responsible pet ownership through community engagement and keep our pets out of shelters. Listen in to hear us chat about Aaron's background, how the nonprofit started, some of their outreach programs, and more. I am the CEO of Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe, and I have the privilege of running this nonprofit that, despite our name, doesn't take in or adopt out animals. Instead, what we do is we bring certified therapy dog teams to schools, to libraries, Boys and Girls Clubs, Scout Troops, Homeless Shelters, and our whole mission is through education, promoting positive human pet interactions, and helping people to keep pets in homes, off the streets, and out of shelters. So essentially we focus on rescue prevention. Because when you think about it, most shelters and rescues, they're doing amazing work, but despite all the good that they're doing, the number of animals entering continues to go up. So we focus on stemming the pipeline at the beginning and keeping the pets out of the shelters. I'm so bummed. I have a, a rescue pit mix that I usually bring to work, and I took him to daycare today. And today would have been, been the perfect day to bring your dog here. Exactly. To bring him. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, he'll be too curious in the studio, but no, this would have been a great day. What's your dog's uh, name, by the way? His name's Louie. And does he ever yeah. like come in on the shoots or no? He he hasn't been on a shoot yet. He's okay. uh, you know we keep the studio door closed just so because he's still a big chewer. I don't know okay. if you saw in my office the dog bed and all the chew, the box of chew toys. No, I didn't but, see. It. Yeah. So Aaron, no, that's uh, it's great to hear about the organization. Let's rewind a little bit. Sure. Um, I don't know, you know, and maybe you did uh, know this all along. It doesn't sound like from what I know about you that CEO of a, a nonprofit that that you know. Uh, works with uh, kids in, in animal interactions. It didn't sound like that was kind of your first career uh, step on the ladder. How did you get to that point? It was not my first step on the yeah. career ladder, nor my anticipated trajectory at hmm. all. I, had, I went to Emory University, and I was a Middle East Studies and Political Science major, hmm. and actually became a diplomat. So I worked for the Foreign Service. I worked for the State Department for seven years, living and working overseas, hmm. mostly in the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa realized that I was working with diplomats that acted like fourth graders. So I thought to myself, you know what? Just go ahead and work with fourth graders. Cut out the middle person. And so just to do a little bit of a rewind, when I was in college and grad school, I had done a lot of volunteer work at homeless shelters and also long-term substitute teaching. Really loved working with kids hmm. and just found 
education very appealing. So after I left the State Department, uh, became an elementary school teacher, taught third through fifth grade for seven years, and really loved teaching, loved the educational experience, loved working in the classroom. And what also happened during that time is I realized, number one, all my kids either loved animals and wanted to learn about them, or two, they'd been bitten by dogs, they were chased by dogs at the bus stop, they threw rocks at animals, not to be mean, but to protect themselves. They'd walked by dogs that were chained up. I called every rescue, every shelter. Not a single one of them had an educational program. And so I thought, we're missing an opportunity to develop that next generation of kind and caring animal welfare advocates and also maybe promote the measures that help keep pets in homes and from ever becoming astray, winding up on the streets, entering a shelter. And I had also started volunteering and working in local shelters and loved what I was doing, loved the volunteering, the dog walking, the mentoring, the fostering. But something kind of struck me and that was that no matter what all the good that was being done by the various shelters that I both worked in eventually and also volunteered in, when I thought about it from a financial standpoint, the incentive is always to show that they can take in more animals. They never come to us and say, help us keep more pets out. We only took in half the animals we took in last year, so we're only going to ask you for half of what you gave us last year. It's always give us more money so we can save more pets. Mm -hmm. So it actually incentivizes shelters to take more pets in. And as a result, we're always treating the symptoms of pet overpopulation and animal cruelty rather than treating the root cause of why pets enter shelters in the first place. So it was never my career path or goal, but this is just kind of what happened and uh, launched Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe in November 2017. Wow. And so talk to me about the steps from, you know, seeing, seeing that, that problem that you identified of, okay, there's a lack of education. Right. You know, on, on, you know, the the kids side. You know, you have these built-in fears. You know, these experiences, and then on the the rescue side, it's a you know, it's almost like a marketing issue, right? Like rescues have their own their own marketing arms, but that doesn't solve that problem of you know fear or stigmas on rescue dogs or the types of dogs that are in rescues. Any any of exactly. that. So where, what was the first step for you? I know you know you probably didn't launch the the nonprofit to the extent it is today right off the jump. What was the first step for you? The first step for me was looking at the landscape of all the shelters and all the rescues and not seeing any educational components that were built into the animal welfare system where they were going to the schools, to the libraries, to boys and girls clubs on a regular basis that had curriculum aligned content, meaning it was easier for them to get into the schools and had advocated for this from within the shelter system, didn't see much reception. So that's what caused me to say, you know what, having a background in education, having a background in animal welfare, if someone wants to make the change, why not me? And so talking to a lot of people, having a lot of sit-downs, a lot of coffees with people in the animal welfare space, people in the nonprofit space, talking to friends who were lawyers, who um, had a business background, thinking, how do I put this together in a meaningful, sustainable way? What are the different sources of revenue that we're going to need? How are we going to be able to market ourselves? And having a lot of conversations, talking and doing a lot more listening and realizing we could do this. And that's kind of what led to ARDC, Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe, coming into operation. And what's kind of weird about it is that when you think about it from this perspective, we've been around for five and a half years 
half of our existence has been under COVID. So we actually made that pivot, uh, offering our programs virtually uh, halfway, through the uh, halfway through the pandemic, about August 2020. And we actually doubled our month-over-month -month impact from working with about 500 participants a month exclusively in and around Atlanta to now to the point where we work with more than 1,000 participants, about 40% of whom are virtual and all over the world. What's the experience like for you? I know as a teacher, you worked with kids for so long, but what's the experience like for you being able to, to come in, you know, under the, under the guise of this, uh, under the, you know, premise of this organization and see kids, you know, that light bulb go off for the first time of, okay, I don't have to be scared of this animal. It is the most rewarding, um, heartwarming uh, feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say that I get to do what I love every day it's the greatest gift. I get to work with kids without being their teacher. I get to work with amazing therapy dogs without being in the shelter system. And to go in and to be that first opportunity for maybe a young child or even an adult to have their first ever positive experience or first ever experience exclusively interacting with a dog where they get to pet a dog for the first time, yeah. to not be scared, to learn how to read and understand uh, dog behavior, maybe even what goes into responsible pet care, the importance of ensuring that all of our pets are vaccinated, wearing their collars with IDs, knowing how to safely ask, may I please pet your dog, rather than running up and getting bitten, and then the child gets hurt, the dog gets taken away, no one wins. So to be able to be that first opportunity for that positive interaction is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And um, we have programs that are all scaled and scaffolded for grade and age appropriateness for the youngest of children from two and a half to five years old where we're doing our can I pet your dog read aloud to working with seniors in assisted living facilities and making dog leashes out of repurposed climbing rope that we then provide for free to first responders to help them secure pets in emergencies to reunite animals with their families thus preventing pets from becoming strays or winding up in our areas overcrowded shelters so it's incredibly rewarding well and you segued beautifully to the next question I had which was Walk me through a, a typical visit when you go to an elementary school and you uh, you bring a therapy dog with you. What what's the you know the the main content points that you're you're providing in that in that visit to the kids? So that depends on the program that we've been asked to lead at that school or at that sure. scout troop. So for grades say pre K through three, we could be doing our interactive "Can I Pet Your Dog?" read aloud, and we'll do our read aloud from uh, Stephanie Kalmanson's "May I Pet Your Dog?" book. We'll have our therapy dog team there along with our volunteer owner handler. We have about 70 certified therapy dog teams that are part of our program. And while we're doing that read aloud, we're inviting the kids one at a time to come up and ask, may I please pet your dog, learning to put their hand out, um, how to safely, calmly, respectfully approach a dog. And each of the kids gets the opportunity to do so. And we make it you know, um, known at the very, very beginning that for any children who aren't comfortable, they, don't, they shouldn't feel obligated or required to come up. But, inevitably halfway through or toward the end of the program everyone wants to come up and watching the children who may have been a little more reluctant overcome that reluctance or that trepidation to them want to come up and approach a dog is amazing so that's one of our programs we do our one leash project which I just mentioned um, we actually made we've kept more than 7,000 pounds of climbing rope material out of landfills by repurposing it into dog leashes uh, we have a careers in animal welfare program, responsible pet care program, uh, humane animal practice and bite prevention initiative. 
we even have a program called Figurative Language of Fluffy mm. and a program called Pet Math. And so that helps us get into some of the math classes and the figurative language of Fluffy gets us into the English language arts and writing classes. So rarely do we think about the type of language that we use. For example, no dog in this fight, more than one way to skin a cat, let the cat out of the bag, um, let uh, um, uh, cart before the horse. You know, what these actually mean. And so we have kids think about the meaning behind some of these idioms or cliches and then whether or not they're examples of uh, inhumane, humane animal practices or they're neutral and then if they're an example of an inhumane pet practice, for example, kill two birds with one stone. We had one kid come up with an alternative, fill two birds with one scone. So it's great <laughs> because it really makes the kids uh, and the students a lot more conscientious about the language that we use yeah. and then the language that we use toward one another. Hmm. And uh, we've seen the changes, the teachers, the students' faces light up and um, it's great. And so that's enabled us to work with some of the youngest students all the way up through seniors in high school, college-age students, and even do job training programs at local civic centers, community organizations, and libraries because the animal welfare industry has grown five-fold over the past 25 years. So if someone's interested in working with or on behalf of animals, doesn't quite know where to start, we provide some of that information and the opportunities for them. On the animal side, yeah. uh, you talked about all these organizations that were already in place to handle the actual, you know, temporary housing of, of um, you know, foster animals, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what the reactions from those organizations were when you first went to them and said, hey, here's where I'm seeing the, the gap is, you know, let me, let me help. You know, was there that, you know, some people, you know, there's always that hesitancy or there can be that hesitancy of, okay, what's the catch? You know, did you get any of that? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. And change is really hard. Hmm. And so many of the animal welfare organizations, locally and, and beyond, are really good at what they do with regard to taking in, adopting out, marketing animals. Education is a whole other aspect sure. that many aren't comfortable with. And I think having that background in education is what made me feel comfortable developing the curriculum. Um, I wish it had been a lot more... Uh, welcomed within the animal welfare space, it wasn't. But at the same time, I realized that this enables the shelters and the rescues to focus on what they do best, which is sheltering, adopting, taking in, uh, vaccinating, spaying and neutering, microchipping. But it also gives us an opportunity to carve out a niche space. Yeah. And the other nice thing about this is, is that because we do our programs in schools, in boys and girls clubs, in libraries, we don't require a physical space, which means we don't have the overhead which means we could put a lot more of our funding toward our impact. So when an organization, a school, a library, an underserved community comes to us and requests a program, if they don't have a budget, we never turn anyone down. And 70% of our programs are in Title I schools and underserved communities. And we feel that that's where we have the most impact. And so this gives us, us a chance to be a unique player within the animal welfare space and one of the few that actually focuses on the preventative side of rescue rather than the back end of rescue, meaning once the animals enter the shelter system. I have to go back to the, the One Leash yeah. uh, program with you. So who first saw a, a used up climbing rope and thought, dog leash? In my previous life as a teacher, <laughs> I was teaching elementary school, and on the evenings and weekends, I would go rock climbing. Okay. 
and I was always looking for project-based learning opportunities for my students. And so one evening while climbing at the local gym, it dawned on me, there's all this beautiful rope. And I asked the, the gym uh, manager, what do you do with the old rope when it's considered no longer good for climbing? And he took me to a room maybe three times the size of this, hmm. piled with mounds and mounds of beautiful old climbing rope, and said, basically, we store it here. It's eventually probably going to get thrown out. I thought, that's a real shame. We're always looking for ways to reduce our environmental impact. So I hmm. thought about it and asked him, could I have the rope? And he's, well, what do you want it for? I thought, I have no idea. But there's gotta be some good use for it. So after making me sign a waiver promising never to use the rope for climbing, signed my life away, um, got a hold of a whole bunch of rope, got a rope cutter, which as it cuts the rope, it cauterizes the end so it prevents it from fraying. Right. Came up with a program for my students where they learned how to estimate, measure, subtract the length of the leash from the initial length of the rope. We would then learn how to tie a type of knot called a bite. Got some um, materials from the hardware store, a bolt snap to make a clasp, which would then attach to a dog's leash. And then to make it more integrated into the curriculum, we had our students writing letters of dedication where they dedicated each leash to a special person or pet in their life. And that note would be presented to the police officer, to the firefighter, along with the leash. So they would see who made it who it was significant to, why, and uh, seeing the reception and the response from the first responders. This was made by Lucas uh, in honor of my dog Fluffy who passed away a few years ago. Hmm. It was just the sweetest, most heartwarming thing. And so that was the impetus behind the One Leash Project. And uh, it started out while I was teaching elementary school and then just kind of morphed and followed me as I've gone through the animal welfare space and then eventually starting ARDC, and uh, like I said, we've since kept 7,000 pounds of climbing rope material out of landfills, which kind of led to the tagline, helping people, pets, and the planet. <laughs> so cool, so cool, a lot of fun, and I knew when you mentioned the program that it was gonna be one of those scenarios where it was, you know, like you said, you're at the gym, and it's like, all right, where's this stuff going? You know, and so, no, very cool stuff. Um, I have to ask you about the name, yeah. To, to ask you about the next question. Sure. Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe. Um, the word cafe obviously raises a question. Absolutely. And that I have a feeling may hint towards, you know, some, some things in the future. So the reason we called ourselves Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe is obviously we're based in Atlanta. We thought of the word rescue in a different sense from the front end, meaning preventatively, as opposed to the back end hmm. once the animal entered a shelter, which no one else really focused on. Dog, because obviously it's a lot easier to have therapy dogs than it is to have other <laughs> types of therapy animals to, yeah. to bring into the spaces sure. that, that I mentioned earlier. And then the word cafe had two reasons behind it. One, a cafe isn't just a place for a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. It's also where conversation and community happen. And so our goal is to generate and change the conversation within the community to think differently about animal welfare, to focus more on the people who care for the pets or might want to care for the pets mm. rather than just the animals themselves. And it was also our goal at year three to open up a nonprofit physical cafe. We were hoping to run for three years, demonstrate a tremendous amount of impact, and then make the case for why we deserve that physical place. Year three was 2020. Mm. COVID hit we realized that not having that physical space yet turned out to be a blessing in disguise. 
because unfortunately so many businesses and nonprofits folded because of the overhead required or the, the revenue required to, to maintain the, the space. So what we actually do now is we host pop-up cafes. Uh, we have a mobile coffee cart. We have a beautiful coffee maker that was donated to us. We have coffee that's regularly being donated to us from Dancing Goats Coffee. So when we're at local breweries or do public events, we have coffee for the adults, hot chocolate for the kids. People make a donation. Uh, we basically provide it for free. But all the proceeds from those donations for the coffee, for the hot chocolate, help us to make more of our programs that much more available right. to organizations that otherwise wouldn't have the funds to bring our programs in and helps us cover our expenses. Hmm. So that was the, uh, that's the rationale or the reasoning behind the name Cafe. Would we still love to have a physical space? Sure. Hmm. But I would never trade funding for impact for funding for overhead. Meaning we would only pursue that physical space if someone donated the space to us, the infrastructure paid the rent, the utilities, because we're basically achieving our mission now. Right. Why would I want to do it at the expense of risking so much of where our funds go now for overhead because the profit margins in the coffee space are razor thin. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of still having that physical space, but we're able to, to be a mobile cafe, both conversationally and physically, literally, right, uh, right now. That is a, the most practical answer I've ever heard from a nonprofit employee. <laughs> no, that's great. I, Thank I you. Love, I love that there's... You know, we've already talked several times about the word pivot, yeah. and and we've all had to think about that in the pandemic, not just on the you know for-profit business side, but on the nonprofit side as well. So, it's awesome to hear. Yeah, like we all have, you know, hopes and dreams when we start out on something. That, you know, because that exact thing doesn't happen, doesn't mean we have to you know shrug our shoulders and say, okay, there's a failure there. That's exactly right, yeah. and I actually don't view it as a failure. Right. I look at it now as an unexpected blessing in disguise hmm. because one of the best pieces of advice early on when I was starting to think about the organization, wrote up a business plan, pitching it to friends, uh, nonprofit leaders, asking for their feedback, uh, someone said to me, what is it you want to do? And I said, we really want to be about uh, responsible pet care education, promoting positive human pet interactions, safe and humane animal practices. He said, well, do you need a physical space to do that? Hmm. I thought, not really. He said, separate the educational component from the physical space. Go into the schools, go into the libraries, go into the boys and girls clubs. You don't need the physical space. And that right. was the best piece of advice I had ever been given because had we pursued the space first, we probably wouldn't be here now hmm. as an organization because we wouldn't have had yeah. the funds to sustain ourselves. Well, and you certainly wouldn't have had the opportunity to have, you know, a thousand different programs a month, you know, or a thousand different touch points a month right. in a physical space. That's exactly That's, right. The limitations there just wouldn't wouldn't allow for that. And in five and a half years, half of which has been under COVID, uh, we've reached more than 30,000 participants hmm. in that time. So we like to say we have small pause but big impact. That's right. You know, really outsized impact relative to the size of the organization. We're a 99% volunteer-based organization. We have amazing interns, volunteers, uh, community support, and that's just made all the difference in the world for us. Well, it's interesting, and, and I'm sort of brainstorming with you on, on the spot here, but I just wonder if down the line, the impact that you guys are having in these spaces 
ends up, you know, sparking something. Uh, you know, we did a um, a show with Bearings Bike Bike Works. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with those. Very guys, much so. But, uh, they do know, great work. The the work and the impact they were having on kids in the community sparked this desire in those kids to get involved in the same mission right. and to, to carry that forward. So does that, you know, in the future for you guys look like some of these kids that you're interacting with, like you said, who are having these positive interactions for the first time, come to you and say, okay, where else can I help, you know? So it's fun to think about the possibilities that might lead to. It absolutely is, yeah. and we've been really lucky in that we've actually seen some of those examples come yeah, through already. I'm sure. Whether it's, uh, and this is true, uh, with a specific example I'm thinking of right now, we have one young girl who's been volunteering with us now for three years. Mm -hmm. She came to uh, an event that we did where we were doing our leash project mm -hmm. uh, outdoors uh, uh, during the pandemic, liked it so much that she invited us to lead the same program with the, with the police officers rather than one of our therapy dogs for her birthday party. We did that. She's now been volunteering with us for three years and attends on a regular basis uh, our, our booth at the Peachtree Road Farmer's Market mm -hmm. and helps us with community outreach. And the reception to her is so much better than it would be to mm -hmm. an adult because here's this young girl going up to people asking, may I please pet your dog? They inevitably say yes. And then she says, oh, well, can I also tell you about the organization that I'm volunteering with? Mm -hmm. And so seeing that next generation become that next generation of animal welfare advocates, responsible pet owners, uh, involved community organizers, um, passionate about um, working on behalf of a certain cause that's really meaningful to them, that's it right there. Hmm. We also uh, uh, were asked to lead uh, our Can I Pet Your Dog program at a birthday party, and it was for a five-year-old. She wanted to dedicate her birthday to rescue dogs. Hmm. There was one little girl there in attendance who was fearful of dogs. She pet our therapy dog there. That was her first time having a positive interaction with a dog. A year later, I got an unexpected email from the mom saying, this is a picture of her now with our adopted dog, Toby. Thank you for what you do, it changed our family. Wow. Because prior to that, she'd been reluctant to go to friends' homes that had a dog, reluctant to go to sleepovers, felt a little stigmatized and ostracized from some friends just because she had a fear of, of dogs. She'd had negative experiences. So to then get an email letting us know that we had a huge positive impact on this child and the impact was felt a year later to now to the point where they felt comfortable adopting an animal hmm. that's what it's, it's awesome. about yeah absolutely and so those moments are are powerful they're tangible they're um they're why you do this exactly let me ask you the flip side and this is the tough one what what are the challenges? What are the sticking points that you run into now that you're you're constantly having to workshop and figure out? Okay, how do we, how do we, you know, uh, adapt or change things to make sure that we're having our greatest impact? So we're a relatively new organization. We've mm -hmm. only been around for five and a half years. I still feel like we're in startup mode every day, mm -hmm. which is both exciting and a little fear-inducing all the time. Sure. It's always, and this is true for both the for-profit space and nonprofit. Unfortunately, so much comes down to money. Right. What are the various sources of revenue? Um, how are we making sure that we're continuing to fund our, our operations? Um, how are we making sure that we can continue to expand our reach? Um, are we getting invited back to the same organizations again and again, to the schools, to the libraries, to the scout troops? And inevitably we are, which is exactly what we want because that means that they find value in our programming. Mm -hmm. 
continuing to deepen our impact in the community. That's one of the challenges. Also, one of the hard things is, is measuring impact. So for example, as a nonprofit that focuses on preventing something from happening, how do you measure the impact that you have? We can't prove how many children did not get bitten because they went through a program. We can't prove how many pets did not wind up in a shelter because as a result of going through a program, the dog owners, the cat owners might now put a, a leash or a leash on the dog or a collar on their pet that has the proper identifying information to prevent them from entering the shelter system. So figuring out the ways to continue to be able to accurately and adequately tell our story, yeah. to measure that impact, to convey that, and to, to scale up, to continue to deepen our impact. Um, those are some of the challenges that we face, but they're good challenges to face because they force us to ask ourselves the hard questions as well, which we have to be willing to do. Well, tell us, uh, you know, for folks that are just hearing about your organization for the first time and, and are moved to, to action, and tell us how people can get involved and how they can help. Sure. People can get involved in various ways with us. They can invite us to, uh, let's say they have a company, to do a lunch and learn. Maybe they want to do a service project or team building initiative with their employees or coworkers. Uh, if they run a scout troop, children have children at a school, please invite us in to lead a youth program. We'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. Come visit us. We're regularly at the Peachtree Road Farmers Market in Buckhead on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. When we're not there with a booth doing community outreach, we're also at a lot of Atlanta's amazing festivals. So the Kirkwood Spring Fling, the Ormwood Maker Fest, the Grant Park Summer Shade Festival, all these amazing events are opportunities for us to, to meet you. Uh, if someone has, for example, a dog that they think might be a great candidate to become a therapy dog team, please reach out to us. Our website is therescuedogcafe.org. We're also on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe. It's one long word, Atlanta Rescue Dog Cafe. Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome, Aaron. It's been a great conversation and, and look forward to having many more in the future. But for now, check out Aaron's website and and we hope to see you again real soon my friend thank you so much thanks for having us absolutely follow the ardc team on social media at atlanta rescue dog cafe or visit their website to stay up to date on the latest events and volunteer opportunities atlanta born and brand is a production of connects media make sure and follow the show on social media at atl born brand on instagram and like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. This year, we have another new video series to coincide with the Our City, Our Story theme, which can be found on all our social media platforms. Subscribe to the Atlanta Born and Brand YouTube channel for that content and more. Lastly, if you love the show, please spread the word. Share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your support helps make sure that more and more people hear the stories of all those folks doing great things all over the city. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see y'all soon.